this morning we'll be wrapping up our uh, study of the book of James. We'll be in James chapter 5. I invite you to turn there, James chapter 5, verses 19 uh, through 20, the last two verses uh, of this very practical, uh, very applicable book. And we've been looking at how our faith uh, can impact the world uh, that we live in. So James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. This past summer, I got the Greatest Dad of the Year award. Very sarcastically saying that. Uh, we are pool people. When we go to the beach, we spend the majority of our time at the swimming pool. But I got the fam to go down to the beach one day. And I got boogie boards, which is great. I used to love boogie board. You know what the boogie board is. You get on it, you ride the wave in. And I said, TJ has had swimming lessons, introductory swimming lessons, like two weeks before the beach. He's ready for the boogie board. He knows how to swim and possibly hold his breath. He's good. So we're out there, and he rides the waves like two times. They're so good, really small waves, but he rides them. He's having fun. And then I see a big one coming. Now, like any good dad, I got I to gotta get him on it, right? Because he's going to take it all the way to the shore. Except, and he, he rides really good. He got about halfway to the shore, and then the wave crashed on top of him and sent him. And all I saw was the board fly out of the water with no TJ flying up out of the water. And so like a good father, I waddle my way out there, take my hand, pick him up to make sure he didn't suck in all the ocean water, although he got most of it. Uh, he forgot to hold his breath when he went underwater. But I saved him. Now, you know, I could have just ignored him, right? I could have just stood there like, ah, he'll figure it out. He's fine. That would have got me put in jail pretty quickly, I think. I could have just started walking away from him like in disappointment that he knew how to hold his breath, but he didn't. And I could have let him figure it out on his own. There's a lot of things I could have done, but being the loving father that I am, I rescued him. And he never went back to the ocean. In fact, he got up, coughed, a lot, and proceeded to leave me behind as he walked to his mother, who was. <laughs> and as I thought about this week, I thought about another story of another guy who had a similar situation. This guy's name was Peter. You've heard of Peter. He was a disciple. Uh, Jesus had fed 5,000 and the disciples were out on a boat. And here comes Jesus walking on water. How awesome would that have been? Uh, I was not walking on water, but you know. He was running fast enough to walk. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Peter, uh, you know, Jesus comes walking on water, and there's a conversation, and he says, hey, come on. And Peter decides to take a step of faith, right? He decides to step out of the boat. Peter steps out on the water, and he starts walking on water. I've tried it. I sink every time, okay? I don't have the faith of Peter. Peter is walking on the water while his eyes are fixated on Jesus, while he is completely focused on following Jesus, he is able to walk on the water. But then if the winds blow, a storm comes up, he gets focused on something else. He turns his eyes away from Jesus. He wanders away from that, you know, that straight path from the boat to Jesus. And he begins to sink, doesn't he? He cries out, and here's what Jesus does. you got to love Jesus. He reaches down, picks Peter up. Now they have a conversation about faith. They have a conversation about why he sank. But Jesus didn't turn his back and let Peter sink to teach him a lesson. 
Peter, uh, Jesus didn't, you know, shame Peter by saying, you know, I have told you this a thousand times. Why are you still making a mistake? He rescued him. He rescued him. That is kind of where we're getting at when we uh, are digging into the last verse of James. Jesus rescued Peter. Jesus would continue to teach the disciples. Uh, In fact, Jesus is going to be resurrected. Here's the last thing he tells the disciples. Remember, last words are lasting. Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them... To observe everything I have commanded you. Jesus says, look, I want you to go make disciples. I want you to go find people who don't know me. Tell them about me. And when they decide to follow me, I want you to teach them. Continuously teach them to obey everything. Just just like I have taught you. Peter, when you messed up, I taught you. When you were veering off the path, I taught you. Guys, I was teaching you. Now, I'm going away. You have to be the teachers. You have to be the ones making disciples. You have to be the ones instructing. And listen, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that will empower you to do that. But there's a clear instruction to the early foundation of the church that we are to be teaching people to observe everything that I have commanded you. And that brings us to James. James is teaching a scattered congregation. These are members of his church who have left Jerusalem uh, and I know we, we think sometimes that James is writing to one scattered group of people, but these are multiple house churches scattered all over the place. Some people went north, some people went south, east, west. They're scattered. It really is, I've said it a few times before, it really is the Facebook Live of the day. Okay, James is their pastor making sure he can preach and teach the congregation, teaching them to obey so that they, in turn, can have an impact on the world, teaching others to Obey, And so that's where we get, and that's really his focus in the closing verses of chapter 5. Last week we talked about how prayer is powerfully effective. And really all we got to last week was how you know, when you're, you know, we talked about pray when you're suffering, pray when you're cheerful, when you're sick, call the elders of the church. And we talked about how elders and pastors are to pray and care for the sheep. What follows next in verse 16 and 17 and 18 is that we are to pray for each other. James says, look, confess your sins to each other, not because confessing to one another saves you. That is how we hold each other accountable. I mean, if I asked, I'm not going to, but if I asked you to raise your hand on how many people struggle with sin, everybody's going to raise your hand and you're a Christian. Just because we decide to follow Jesus doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. We don't we struggle with making mistakes. And so he goes, you got to pray for each other. you got to you know, pray that you'll be able to overcome and let the Spirit of God work in you to overcome those sins. And then he gets these last verses where he says, Christians, this is the main idea we're going to talk about, Christians are responsible to help restore straying sinners to the truth. Christians are responsible. We have a responsibility to help restore straying sinners. Christians are straying sinners to the truth. Here's what James says in these last two verses. Read it with me. It's the word of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know beyond a shadow of a doubt, know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude 
of sins. Let's pray. Father, as we examine these two verses this morning, may you reveal to us who we are. May you reveal to us our need. And may you show us our Savior who will forgive us of our sins. We ask these things in your name. Amen. As we approach these two verses, I want to do so by answering four questions. There's four questions that kind of come up in your mind when you read the text. There may be more than four, but we're going to look at four. The first one is this. Who are the wanderers? Who is it that is wandering away? And the answer to that is fairly clear in the text. He says, my brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth. He's talking about Christians. He's not talking about lost people. We would expect a lost person to be wandering away from the truth, right? We would expect a lost person to be roaming around, not knowing what path to be on. But James is clearly here talking about brothers and sisters in the church, using that word, if any, among you. These are Christians. These are Christians who have wandered or veered off the path, so to speak. These are people who should know better, um, I think you could think of it like this. Remember the parable that Jesus teaches? A hundred sheep are out in the field. One of those sheep wander away. That sheep was a part of the flock. And he just decided, well, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm just going to go wander away. Now, what does Jesus say? The shepherd goes after that one sheep, right? So uh, we'll get to that in a second. But the wanderer here, the person wandering away is a Christian. It is a member of the church that he is talking to. And James is kind of giving a warning uh, that, hey, if, if these Christians continue to wander away, there's a danger of judgment. There is a danger that their life will be negatively affected. And so that's who's wandering away. The second question is, what are they wandering away from? They're wandering away from truth. That's what, that's what he says. They're wandering away from the gospel. They're wandering away from the teachings of the Bible. Two things that we can say. They're wandering doctrinally and they're wandering in their actions. And I'll just say this. When you begin to wonder doctrinally and you begin to develop a wrong doctrine, you will have wrong actions, right? When you begin to question God's word, or when, when you begin to distort God's word in certain ways, your actions will be quickly distorted after that. And he says, we don't want you to wander away from the truth. We don't want you to wander away from the gospel. Don't wander away from the Bible. Listen, Paul writes it, puts it this way, talking about the Bible. All scripture, everything that we have Now, when Paul was writing, it was the Old Testament, but everything we have from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is inspired by God. It is truth. There may be things in this book you don't like to read. There may be things that are confusing to you. There may be things that you're like, oh, I wish it didn't say that. But it's true. In a world, in a culture where we live in, where everybody's got my truth, you know, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, There's a million different truths in the culture we live in. This is the truth. There is nothing inaccurate, nothing unholy or unrighteous. There's no mistake in this book. Just because we don't like it doesn't make it false. It is 100% 
truth. And, and, and Paul says about the scripture, it's inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for rebuking. It is profitable for correction. It is profitable for training in righteousness. So that then, here's why, so that the man of God may be complete, equi- completely equipped for every good work. If we want to avoid wandering or roaming away, then we have to stay committed to this book. But I mean, this manifests itself this way. It's like, oh, did God really mean I couldn't do that? I really, really, really like that. Did God really tell me not to do that? I don't think so. I think I can do that. You know, we move the goalpost, right? We move the gray line. And then we move our actions closer to the gray line. James has mentioned some of these actions to us. He... uh He said, don't be a double-minded man. He says, don't have outburst of uncontrolled anger. He says, get rid of your filthy filthy wickedness from your heart. He talks about social prejudice and racism in this book. He talks about the misuse of the tongue. He talks about fights and quarrels within the church. He talks about stirring up trouble within the church. He talks about the sin of pride. He talks about gossip. And that's just in the book of James. The rest of the Bible talks about, you know, we can wander into dishonesty. We can become people who are dishonest for personal gain. The Bible says, don't lie. Many people, many spouses, you're flirting with that fine line between lust and adultery. There are many people in this world who are flirting with that. Christians who I know have wandered away into an adulterous relationship. We wander away from the truth by addictions to pornography. Uh, we wander away by being addicted to drugs or to alcohol or being an alcoholic and giving in to too much strong drink, as the Bible says. There's, and there's, if we could talk about a hundred different things. This wandering away from the truth is when we just say, you know what? I don't care what God says anymore. I'm going to willfully, and this is, you need to understand, this is not an unconscious, we all make mistakes. This word wondering is a conscious, willful, act, uh, active decision to wander away. You knowingly do what you're not supposed to do. You willfully continue to live a sinful lifestyle. Now I know what you're thinking, these are Christians. These are Christians. How can they do that if they've been saved? Well, I think everybody in this room, including your pastor, knows there have been times in my Christian life I have willfully disobeyed God. I'm blessed to have some good men in my life, some, pa- some older pastors who will call me on it, by the way. They're not afraid to say, hey, stop it. And I, and I try to receive that graciously. And that leads to the second question, or the third question. What is the response of the church? That's kind of the wonder, that's the bad news, wondering from the truth. But what is the responsibility and the response of the church? Again, look at the text, starting the second half of verse 19. And someone turns him back. By the way, someone is a person. Okay, it's an individual person. Someone turns him back. I love this. Someone turns him back. Someone does not turn his back on that person. 
How many times have we looked at someone's lifestyle and said, you know what? I'm turning my back. Did Jesus turn his back on Peter when Peter was sinking into the water? Did Jesus turn his back on Peter, a follower for three years, when Peter said, I don't know who that guy is three times? Did Jesus turn his back? No. We don't turn our backs on our brothers and our sisters when they wander away from the truth. We we don't make excuses for them either. And that's important. We don't look at them and make excuses for their behavior. We don't look at them and say, "Ah, it's none of my business. By the way, sometimes it is none of our business. But when we see a Christian straying, actively, willfully, wandering away from the truth, we are responsible. We are our brother's keepers. We are responsible to go to that person privately and lovingly and gently say, listen, I'm watching you cross this line that the Bible has clearly set, and I want to lovingly pray for you. I want to lovingly and gently help you overcome. I want to correct you and get you back on the right path. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, who am I to call out somebody's sin? That's what I thought when I read this. Who am I to look at the speck in somebody else's eye when I've got a log or a two-by-four sticking out of my own eye? That's a valid question. But can I tell you this? When we are holding each other accountable and when we are uh, committed to going to somebody and saying, look, what you're doing is sinful and let me help you. Let me walk with you. When we are committed to doing that, it makes that plank in our own eye very much aware to us. We're aware of our own sins. We're aware that we're not perfect people. And I just want to be clear, we're not talking about being judgmental. We're talking about corrective accountability. And we're all accountable to each other. We're responsible to help restore each other. And and some people get really uncomfortable with the way this says, let that person know whoever turns a sinner from error of his way will save his soul. It really makes it sound like we are saving somebody, doesn't it? That's what it, that's when you read it that way, it's like, oh, I'm the person that's saving somebody from wandering away. Well, yes and no. You ever seen a lumberjack? Big burly guy, big beard. I'm jealous of the beard. A lumberjack can chop down a tree with an axe, right? They use chainsaws now. But for the point of the illustration, it's an axe. Well, who chops down the tree, the lumberjack or the axe? Both, right? Yes. The lumberjack uses the axe to chop down the tree. God uses the church, uses Christians to lead people back to the path. When Jesus was here, he was doing it. When Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we could be the ones leading wanderers back home, leading them back into the fold. We are the ones who are to go see, who are to leave the 99 and go after the one sheep. Because by the way, God cares about every sheep. Don't miss that. The reason we are to go after the wanderers is because God loves them and God desires for them to be a part of the church, to be on the right path. And so we don't make excuses. We don't turn our backs. We go to them and we talk to them. We hold them accountable for what they are doing.
And I'll just put it to you like this. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18. Here's what Jesus says. If any, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. And he says, between you and him alone. The first thing what's so important for the church is being a part of a Sunday school class and being a part of a disciple group or having an accountability partner. Having someone in your life who is willing to say, stop it. And having, you know, for me, having someone in my life who's willing to look at me and say, stop it. And I want you to notice it's, it's done privately. Jesus says, look, when, when someone's straying away, someone's at fault, someone sins, you do it between you and him, you do it privately. And then it says, but if he won't listen, take one or two others. So, so if, if he won't listen to you, take, you know, members of the class, Sunday school class, and go talk to him, pray with him. So that the testimony of two or three witnesses and uh, every fact may be established. And then verse 17. If he doesn't pay attention, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Basically means, hey, when you get to that point, you discipline them and remove them from the church. Now, I want you to hear something very important. All of this is done gently and lovingly. All of this is done to get a wanderer back on the path. And it's done slowly. I, I believe that the model that Jesus outlines is something that should take years and years to go through. The private individual conversation should be over and over and over again. When you take two or three, it should be over and over and over. The last resort is to make things like this public. And I just want to say this. A question that I think comes in your mind when you read James is, in the verses we're looking at, does this mean a Christian can lose their salvation? It really comes across that way, doesn't it? They're restoring. That's not what James is saying at all because we know. The Bible is clear. Once we're saved, we're saved. When we get to a point that Jesus is talking about, or where we get to the point in James where the person refuses to come back into the fold, they're probably not Christian to begin with. Because, see, a Christian... Someone who deeply desires to follow Jesus, when confronted with their sin, will be convicted of their sin and will return back to the fold. Those who reject the correction, those who get you know, defiant and say, I'm not doing anything wrong, they may not be Christian. If they're not convicted of their sin, then they're not following the Lord. You see, when you get to this point in church discipline where you're removing them from the church because of love, the truth is they were probably never in their heart a part of the church. They probably had never made a decision in their heart to follow Jesus. We're not removing a brother or sister. We're removing somebody who was never a part of us to begin with. Does that make sense? And so when James is talking about a person who has wandered away from a truth, the Christian who has wandered away from the truth, and that when our brothers and sisters come to them and turns them back, turns them around, it will save their soul from death, and it covers a multitude of sin. That's the result. That's the last question. What's the result? The result of the Christian is repentance, not rejection. 
It is his soul is being saved. Now, I don't think this is like salvation that we think of. We're justified. This is salvation is that we're being sanctified. We've been corrected of a bad behavior. We've been corrected of a sin. And now we're coming back to the church committed to living and staying on the right path. And then I love this. You know, a multitude of sins is covered. Here's what he means. It's how he closes it, right? Covers a multitude. The gospel of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. If you're looking at these two verses, what have they strayed from? The truth. I wish I could write this. I would draw arrows in my Bible. They've strayed from the truth. The person brings them back to the truth. The gospel covers a multitude of sins. The gospel has the power to save people from death. The gospel of Jesus Christ can change and transform even the most stubborn person who is wandering away from the path of truth. That is why Jesus died. That is why he gave his life. Because at some point in time, everybody in this world was wondering, roaming around. And the only way for us to be on the path of truth is Jesus. And so here's really the question I want to ask you today. One, are you committed to holding a brother and sister accountable? Again, lovingly, gently, not judgmental, not hateful, not taking your Bible, slapping them in the face back and forth, but just sitting down, having a cup of coffee and say, look, I'm seeing you do this. And I know I've got problems, but I'm seeing you do this. And the Bible says you shouldn't do it. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can we get you away from the wrong path and back to the right path? That's the first question. The second question is this. Are you a wondering person? Are, is the life you're living today, the life you've been living over the last six months, year, has it been a life of wandering away from what you know to be true? What I've done today and through this text and what James is doing is correcting that behavior. Years, about five, six, maybe seven years ago, I was leading a small group at Caswell. Uh, there were students in there. There was a time when it was mainly students from other churches. I could tell there was one kid who had no desire to be in that room. He was completely checked out. He didn't want to be at camp. Uh, and I see that, and that's my guy. You know, I minister into my church, but I also, through a small group leader, I'm going to minister to this kid. That's the guy I'm going to minister to. Because I want him to leave camp not being checked out for Jesus, but all in for Jesus. And so we talk. And Tuesday of that week, he shares with me about his salvation experience, how he gave his life to the Lord. But then he says, but I think it was all fake. He goes, I haven't heard from God. I haven't seen God. I don't even know if this, I don't even know why I'm here. He had made a profession of faith. He had been baptized. Wednesday, I talked to this guy's youth leader. The youth leader was very adamant that he was a Christian because the youth leader led him to Christ. And he was going through some challenges at school, challenges in his home. Parents were just divorced. And he was questioning God and he was making poor decisions, wandering away from the truth of the gospel. Thursday and Friday, I poured into that kid. Love Every time I saw him around campus, we talked, we prayed. I, he opened up to me in ways I've never had kids open up before, especially not for my church. Friday night, invitation comes. I'm up in the balcony and 
he was dressed in a certain way. You could, you could pick this kid out of anywhere. And I see him sprinting to the stage. So I walked down there, prayed with him. He got up, we hugged. He says, I'm turning it around. A week of ministering to him, leading him, praying for him, gently correcting him. And his youth leader was doing the same thing. And Friday night, he runs. He didn't walk. He runs down to that stage, gets on his knees. He says, I'm turning it around. Now, I've never seen the kid since. But it is my hope and it has been my prayer for him that he's still on the right path. Are you in his shoes needing to run to the arms of Jesus? Are you sinking in the ocean of your sin? And you need him to reach down and pick you up. I promise his hand's there. I promise he's reaching down. Sometimes you've got to grab hold of it. You've got to let him pull you up. If you're that way this morning, this altar is open for you to pray. You pray with me, pray with the deacon, you can just come and pray. You pray where you're at. And say, God, I've been wondering, I've been straying, I'm turning it around today. Today's the day for you to stop wondering and come back to the fold. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the book of James. This letter that was written thousands of years ago to a group of Christians who are struggling in so many different ways. A group of Christians who desperately needed to impact the world that they lived in. Father, we thank you that you inspired him to give these words of inspiration, these words of uh, correction. Help us to embrace them. Help us to follow them. Help us to be a church that impacts the world for you by our faith. Help us today to stop wandering away from the truth of God's word. Help us through your spirit to be committed to studying the Bible. Following the words, doing what it says to do and what it says not to do. And we need your strength. We need that promise that says you are with us to the ends of the earth. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that the Lord has spoke to your heart and has blessed you through this message. If you would like more information about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please reach out to us at one of the following locations. You can visit us online at chinagrovefbc.com slash salvation or check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash chinagrovefbc. Thank you and have a blessed rest of the day.